The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf and another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, Christ, King of the Universe. Since this is the last Sunday of the liturgical year, we will drill into one of the prayers from the Solemnity of Christ the King. The last Sunday of the liturgical year is upon us. In the post-conciliar calendar, this is the Feast of Christ the King. In the older traditional calendar, it is the last Sunday after Pentecost. There are conceptual and textual links between this Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent, in both the older form and in the newer form of Holy Mass in the Roman Rite. During November, we have been mindful of the saints in heaven and in praying for the dead. We have been thinking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And the last Sunday, and during this last week, in the office, or Liturgy of the Hours, according to the Liturgy of the Hours, or Breviarium Romanum, the priests and religious read, which is the official prayer of the Church, and it is liturgical, there are many texts concerning the end of the world. Each one of us is going to face the just judge, the King of Fearful Majesty, either because Christ will return in his second coming, like lightning, suddenly, as Christ himself describes, or because we die and we go to our particular judgment. The textual connections of today's Mass in the extraordinary form show the overlapping of the end of the year and the beginning of Advent, perhaps because Advent once had five weeks. In any event, this is a time to think about the Lord's coming, especially his second coming in our judgment. During the course of Advent, we will also be focusing on his second coming, even as we get ready to celebrate his first coming at Bethlehem. But Advent is also about other ways in which the Lord comes, especially the second coming, but also how he comes in the person of our neighbor, and also how he comes to us in the words of Scripture. Christ comes to us in the person of the priest who is conformed to Christ by a special sacrament. Christ comes preeminently in the consecration during Holy Mass, and if we are properly disposed, in Holy Communion. Let's hear today about the collect for Mass for Christ the King in the ordinary form. The text I'm working with here is uh, something that I wrote for the newspaper in England, the Catholic Herald. I write a weekly column. It's kind of a continuation in a different newspaper and, and for a different audience. Uh, what some of the work that I did for many years in The Wanderer, the American publication. So let's hear what I wrote for Christ the King. This is the final Sunday of the liturgical year, the Solemnity of Christ the King of the Universe. Each year, Holy Church presents the history of salvation from creation to the Lord's coming, his first and all his, also his second. This Sunday is an anticipation of the season of Advent, which focuses on the different ways in which the Lord comes to us. During November and December, we as a church consider the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. We pray for the poor souls in purgatory, and then we celebrate the fact that our Lord will come again in glory as king and judge. Here is the Sunday collect. Omnipotens sempiterne Deus. 
qui in dilecto filio tuo, universorum rege, omnia instaurare voluisti, concede propitius, ut tota creatura, a servitute liberata, tue maestati deserviant, ac te sine fine collaudet. This is in part a new composition for the Novus Ordo. The second half is different from the version in the 1962 Missali Romanum for this feast. Concede propitius ut, cuncte familiae gentium peccati vulnere disgregate, eus suavissimo subdantur imperio, so that all the families of the nations, torn apart by the wound of sin, may be subject to his most gentle rule. This older version stresses the Lord's kingship here and now over the whole of the secular realm. The newer version stresses the eschatological kingship of the Lord after his second coming. Instauro is to renew, celebrate anew, to repair, restore. Etymologically, instauro is related to Greek stauros, an upright stake, the word used for the cross of Jesus. Instauro calls to mind the motto on the coat of arms of St. Pius X and its origin in Ephesians chapter 1. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The older Vulgate says, Instaurare omnia in Christo, while the new Vulgate says, Recapitulare omnia. Recapitulare, related to Latin caput, or head, was deemed a better translation of the Greek anakephalaio, to sum up the argument. Christ is the head of the body of the church. Christ is the final statement, the conclusion of all things. In 1925, when today's feast was implemented by Pius XI in response to rapidly growing secularism, the collect had instaurare, not recapitulare. Here's a literal translation of the Latin collect. Almighty eternal God, who desired to renew all things in your beloved Son, the King of the universe, graciously grant that the whole of creation, having been freed from servitude, may zealously serve your majesty and praise you greatly without end. The first objective of our participation in the Church's sacred rites is to give praise to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Liturgical Latin is rich with words and phrases which exalt and express praise of God. It is right to translate these lofty-sounding attributions for God when we raise our voices in the Church's official cult, the word maestas can in today's prayer be taken as a title, as in your majesty. It is also interchangeable in liturgical Latin with the divine characteristic we call glory. Here's the obsolete Isil translation from 1973. Almighty and merciful God, you break the power of evil and make all things new in your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of the Universe. May all in heaven and earth acclaim your glory and never cease to praise you. And here's the current ISIL from 2011, which replaced the old version. Almighty, ever-living God, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of the universe, grant, we pray, 
that the whole creation, set free from slavery, may render your majesty service and ceaselessly proclaim your praise. The phrase, renew, or reinstate all things in Christ, points to the kingdom of Jesus. In everything that Jesus said or did in his earthly life, he was actively drawing all things and peoples to himself. In the time to come, this act of drawing to himself, as in John chapter 12, verse 32, will culminate in the exaltation of all creation in a perfect unending paean of praise. Meanwhile, by virtue of baptism and our integration into Christus Venturus, Christ about to come, we all share in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and also king. We have the duty to proclaim his kingship by all that we say and do. We are to offer all our good works back to him for the sake of his glory and in expectation of his coming. The glorious restoration in Staurare, of all things, is possible only through the Lord's cross, subtly embedded in our collect, where it is revealed as the pivot point of all creation. As the Carthusians' motto says, Crux stat dum volvitur orbis. The cross stands fast while the world spins. phone number attached to my Skype account for these United States, and I have another one in England with a London area code. You can use your regular phone to call a phone number, and it'll leave me voicemail that'll come to me through Skype, and my Skype address is WDTPRS, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra. That's the old what does the prayer really say thing. You can call and leave voicemail. I don't answer those numbers, and I won't answer that WDTPRS Skype uh, contact, but you, but I have it set up so that you can leave voicemail. And recently, one of, I'm sure one of the readers of my blog, uh, Father Z's blog, just Google it, you'll find it really fast, left a question about Holy Days. Let's hear it. Hello, Father. My question uh, is regarding Holy Days of our obligation and whether or not a bishop's conference can add a holiday to the calendar. Uh, regarding the United States of America, uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, and much of the nation stopping to give thanks to God, I was wondering if it was possible for the USCCB 
to mandate uh, that Thanksgiving be a holy day of America, uh, holy of obligation for Americans. Well, I think the answer might be yes. Uh, for example, if you look at the website CatholicIreland.net, you see a list of holy days and St. Patrick's Day is included. And St. Patrick's Day certainly isn't among the holy days of obligation that are designated for the Universal Church. Now, it may be that it is simply considered a holy day by custom in Ireland because of the importance of St. Patrick, or that its observance is a continuation of a tradition without obligation, but it's still listed among the holy days of obligation without further explanations. I'm not quite sure how that works. However, uh, the day, is, I'm sure, also coincides with a national or civil holiday, uh, as does Pentecost Monday in Germany, which is sometimes found in lists of holy days of obligation. So I think it may be possible for bishops to designate certain days as holy days of obligation. Bishops certainly do have the ability to suspend the obligation attached to certain holy days of obligation that are in the calendar of the Universal Church. And there are very few places, I think, that observe all the holy days. The Diocese of Rome, uh, Vatican, maybe not even the Diocese of Rome for all of them, but certainly um, in Vatican City um, and in the major basilicas, they are all all of them that are designated are observed. And I think that there's a place in Switzerland, I think Switzerland and Ticino, they do that also. But uh, really, no place else uh, has all of them uh, as obligatory. The Holy See has allowed bishops' conferences to abolish the obligation or transfer the obligation to, to a Sunday. But, you know, Sunday is uh, a holy, all Sundays of the year are holy days of obligation anyway. And I think this is something that we have to recover because this idea of weaving our lives together with the, the sacred cycle of the year and the feasts of saints, and the different changes of the seasons and so forth, this all has to do with our identity as Catholics. And it keeps reminding us about how we are tied together across the face of the earth and through time with other Catholics. And there are sacred times there are sacred persons, sacred places, and sacred times, and we have to observe sacred times, not just on Sundays and other great feasts, but but at other times too. Um, things that are we we want to do this for because they're regionally important, uh, but we have to remember sometimes we have to arrange our daily lives, our ordinary lives, shall we say, for our sacred lives as Catholics too. We have to make room. We have to make sacrifices. We have to plan. We, we don't want to be Catholics just on weekends and having holy days of obligation even during the week, even when sometimes it isn't terribly convenient, means that we have to make choices about how we are going to live as Catholics. But uh, and in, any event, in any event, the law for the Latin church established for the whole church that certain days would be days of precept. It's another way of talking about holy days of obligation, days when the faithful are obliged to participate at Holy Mass. That doesn't mean you're obliged to go to communion. It means you're obliged to go to Mass. All Sundays of the year are, by their very nature, holy days of obligation. In addition, for the Universal Church, we have the Nativity of our Lord, which is Christmas. We have Epiphany. Epiphany was historically a more important feast than Christmas. We have the Ascension of the Lord. 
And of course, now we have this debacle of transferring Ascension Thursday, which is biblically based, to the Sunday following. So we have some kind of bizarre Ascension Thursday, Sunday thing going on now. We have the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ, that's Corpus Christi, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, uh, her Immaculate Conception and her Assumption. We have the Feast of St. Joseph and the Feast, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, and also All Saints. These are on the calendar of the Universal Church, but conferences of bishops can, with the approval of the Holy See, can suppress certain holy days of obligation or transfer the obligation to a different time. And on every holy day, the, the, holy, the, the, the faithful are obliged to go to Mass. And they're really obliged also to abstain from work or business that would prohibit them worshiping God on that day. Um, and so they're, they're to be treated like a Sunday, and we, we should omit things that would uh, permit us, uh, that would conflict with our worship of God. It means we say we have to make sacrifices, we have to plan ahead. We have to make sure that we, we get to Mass, even if we are obliged because we work or something like that to do certain other things. You know, not taking on too much, trying to make the day different from the rest is important. And we satisfy our, satisfy our obligation to go to Mass by going to Mass in any Catholic rite, either on the Holy Day itself or on the evening of the previous day. So if there's an anticipated Mass, the afternoon or evening before the day, the vigil as we call it, you satisfy your obligation. Say, for example, there would you know, be a, a Holy Day on a Monday that isn't, that isn't transferred. Uh, for some reason by the bishops, or the obligation isn't suppressed because it's too close to the Sunday. In other words, people who, gosh, can't be expected to go to Mass twice in a row. If you were to go to Mass on a Sunday evening, you would satisfy your obligation for the Sunday, but also satisfy simultaneously at that one Mass your obligation to attend Mass on the next day. And you can go in any Catholic rite. You can go to Ukrainian uh, Catholic Church or Maronite Catholic Church and satisfy your your obligation. And uh, it, but if it's impossible to go to mass because maybe there is no priest or there's no mass scheduled for or some other you know serious reason, maybe there's a terrible snowstorm or you're you're sick or your you know your car's broken down, you don't know where to go to mass because you're traveling, things like that. You're still strongly recommended to. Uh, pray, uh, perhaps in Liturgy of the Word, if there is something like that, you fulfill um, your, our obligation to, to God, not necessarily according to, strictly according to law anymore, because if there's no Mass, it's impossible for you to go to it, and we're not held to do the impossible. But nevertheless, we still should try to do something. Um, it may be that there are some other provisions that the local bishop has uh, had laid down, but we should try to spend some time in prayer, either individually as a group or as a group. These are serious things. We have to think about uh, how to maintain our Catholic identity in a culture that is uh, very much set against us. And, and if we're not careful, uh, we can our, our Catholic identity can erode. And I think that by making things too easy uh, sometimes for people, uh, we've uh, maybe... Uh, even our bishops, thinking that they were doing something good, 
uh, have eroded our Catholic identity. And now we're beginning to talk about uh, recovering some of these things. In this year of faith, I think it's important that we do that. In the last bishops' meeting, for example, Cardinal Dolan, in his initial address to all the bishops, brought up the issue of bringing back uh, obligatory abstinence for all Fridays of the year, which is, I think, a step in the right direction. We also need to think perhaps about uh, renewing a longer Eucharistic fast because one hour before Holy Communion really just isn't enough, I think. It isn't enough. Uh, maybe we could go back to a three-hour Eucharistic fast. Little things like this make a difference uh, because we have to think about things more. We have to plan. We have to, we have to work our days and ways around our, our obligations. And the obligations help us because the Spirit... Sometimes, there's an old phrase, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, comes out of the gospel. But sometimes the spirit isn't even willing, and we can get lazy in our faith. And having these small things, which really aren't all that great a sacrifice, can help us be better Catholics and give better witness to our faith in this very difficult world. With that, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you for your attention today. Please visit the blog. That's wdtprs.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com, Father Z Online, Father Z F A T H E R Z Online.com. Or just Google Father Z. You'll find me right away. There are lots of good discussions, and I hope you'll, you'll come and get involved. And until next time, please. Pray for me as I will for you. Hey!